Blog Talk Radio. One more time. Welcome to a brief interlude before our opening begins. No kidding. <laughs> this is number three. <laughs> you, I, Eleven uh, seconds. You, that band leader's got nothing on Cal Basie and Duke Ellington. Welcome to Beach State Pandemonium, a production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network, where we take you down memory lane for a look at professional wrestling the way it used to be, with conversations from those who paved the way. And now, the GWH Radio Network presents Beach State Pandemonium. And this is Michael Norris along with Jerry Oates, Bobby Simmons, and Jay West. How are you guys doing this evening? I'm doing good. Me too. No complaints. I'm here sitting here trying to figure out if you could take bets on how many times it's going to take to push the button <laughs> on the intro. I mean, sometimes it's the first time. This was the third time, and it went 11 seconds before it came on. I've been trying to do a deal where I would, you know, uh, anticipate and started a few seconds before the actual intro off the network and uh, to see if I could match it up. But no, tonight I had to do it three times anyway. No problem with the outro. It goes the first time. Well, that's actually the only pandemonium we have. That's right. The, the most exciting part of the show is how many times it's going to take hitting the intro to make it go. Jerry, let me ask you something. Are, are they filming a movie down on Tybee Island that you know of? They filming one down at Fort Pulaski. They film one about every other month down there. No, that, not that often, but I don't even know the name of it. I have no idea. It's right before you get to Tybee. They may come down there and do some shooting. I don't know. Well, you, you guys have heard the name Bruce Probance, because supposedly he's starring in a movie that's being filmed down there, you know since Hulk Hogan got him in the movie business, and he's worked with Robert De Niro and oh, yeah. wrestled yeah. Andre the Giant and was the NWA World Champion, beat Harley Race for the NWA World yeah. Championship. And Did he? That'll go right along with that book he wrote. It was total fiction. Yeah. Who is it? He's a guy Who's named that? Bruce Probance. He claims to have been... Uh, Worked his whole career under a mask as the hangman, and supposedly Dick the Bruiser trained him, and uh, uh, he had a hand in training Yokozuna and, and Hulk Hogan, and he body slammed uh, Andre. And Andre, he, he's just he's full. Well, in '91, he wrote a, he had a book he was selling. First time I ever went to Caldwell Alley, he was selling a book. And I was sitting there with Smitty, and I asked Smitty, I said, "Who is?" You know, who is this guy? And he said, uh, well, that's the hangman. He's got a book over there, you know. Well, <laughs> I just kind of, you know, was wandering around. Nobody, He didn't know me. I didn't know him. So I just picked a book up, was looking at the thing. And he was talking about all the years he spent in Florida, and he was Gordon Soley's right-hand man, and he did. Oh. He said that. And I sat there, and I, and, I, and I walked back over to Smitty, and I, said, I told him, I said, how come all that stuff there is true? How come I never heard of him or talked to him? I said, I've never heard of the guy. And come it to find out, like, the whole book was a lie. 
Well, Nobody ever heard of him. Jaggers trained him. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, and he's, but he's he's also he's added this movie star, you know, he's he, his movie career, and he's uh, he's uh, in with uh, the Red Cross, and they send him to all kind of disaster zones and uh, wow. all across the world and stuff for the Red Cross and all this other. He's just, you know, the thing is, evidently, he's got a. He's got a Facebook page that he's very selective as, as, as to who he he lets be his friend, and uh, these people these people buy it hook, line, and sinker evidently. And, well, and if, if he sounds like he is, a, him, he is a disaster. Uh, Hogan yeah. admitted recently in a uh, in an interview that uh, had Andre not allowed him to pick him up and slam him, he wouldn't have been able to do it. So this guy must really be something special. Oh yeah, he he sl- he slammed Yokozuna when he weighed eight hundred and forty three pounds. Yeah, and wow. and, uh, and, uh, and 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 he, he taught some some midget wrestler to to body slam Yokozuna. It's just, it's just it's ridiculous. You know, does this man actually walk the streets? Oh yeah. yeah, he shows up at independent cards and talks his way into letting him referee. Now, is he supposed to be making this movie that you mentioned? Yeah, oh yeah. He he just evidently put up on his Facebook page a picture of where the extras are, the holding area at some uh, Tybee Arms Hotel or something down there. Uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's still going, but I cut the cut the volume. Uh, let's see if it's... Well, there's no Tabby on the phone. What's this guy saying? One more conversation. That's it. I got it. And now, <laughs> it's Bruce Probanz. P-R-O-B-A-N-Z. And I'm he, gonna look he, him up tomorrow. I'm gonna look he's him been up a tomorrow. Pro, he's been a professional wrestler for 38 years. He was he's huh. a former. He's a he's a WWE Hall of Famer. He's God. a former NWA World Heavyweight Champion. He beat Harley Race for the title. Um, now where's this boy uh, from? Well, he claims to originally been from uh, uh, broke in with with Bruiser, but he lives in uh, King, he lives in Kingsland, Kingsland, Georgia, wherever that is. Yeah, now. South Georgia. That's right down there. That's right down there, almost at the Florida line, right down the coast. If that's where the Naval Lakes, where the submarines is. Has anybody ever heard of him? No. I see, like I say, I seen him in in '91 out there, and what I seen in the book, I knew it was a bunch of crap. That, and and evidently, everybody else found out it was crap because he disappeared. Nobody saw him after the first day. Well, the funny thing is, he he, the publicity photo that he was claiming was him was actually a, a photo that was taken in probably 1952 in in California of a guy named Tom Rice is the hangman. But he's passing that off as him. I knew, I knew a guy once that uh, that photoshopped, and this was some time ago, you know, before things were as good as they are today. But he photoshopped his picture, his head, onto Bruno Sammartino's uh, physique. You know, one of those shots uh, that was you'd see a lot of times in, uh, in in the major magazines. 
And I guess, you know, and he talked about being a professional wrestler. It wasn't the same guy, I, but I knew this guy uh, in the school business. And he talked about being a, a pro wrestler, and, uh, you know, he, he had this picture on his desk. Well, well, you know, I knew right off it was Bruno because he had the, the WWF belt on. Uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, and I, I threw out a few terms that he didn't even blink on, you know, so... So it uh, that answered that question. But Mike, did you say that you were? You said he was selective on his friends. Are are you one of his friends? No, 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 no. Just you know, people have, have managed to find things on his Facebook page and they post and make fun of him and all this stuff. Just just for the bull of, you know. And it's and I know that's a common thing that you know. I, I've long said you know every old man that dies alone in a nursing home in Georgia was is was the original assassin, right? You know? And think... but you know it it takes away from to make all sure. these outlandish claims. It takes away from the ones who really did it. You know. Yeah. Just and, by, you know, go ahead. I just fixed to say two two things come into play here. Number one, if you're going to tell a lie. You got to tell it to somebody that at least has some clue or, or not a clue that'll right. buy your story, it. whatever it yep. is. You got to have somebody that don't know. The second thing is exactly what you said. The older I get, the more it bothers me when these people take these pictures and oh, I was a wrestler, I was this champion, I was that champion, and they pass it off to people that don't know any better. But right. This this happened to me here within the past two years. Uh, a young man was had a picture of, uh, of himself with a mask on. He had had made somewhere. I don't know where he got it made. But anyway, he he was telling people he was this and he was that and he was this and he was that. He tells his family. His family doesn't know any better, so they buy it. Uh, but he told it to the wrong person. He happened to tell it to somebody that knew me, and they called me and told me about it. And I and I just. I blew it up. I said, you know, no, it's not true. So, you know, and, and it really, and it upset me. I mean, I just, you know, uh, these guys that run up and down the road and give their blood and their sweat and, and, uh, uh, you know, we, I, I was a referee, but I, but I, I, I sweated as much as anybody because I tried to work hard every night. Sure. But these, sure. these guys, these guys that, these guys that, that, that do this stuff and try to get the glory without, you know, I don't know, it just bothers me. But well, yeah, you know, band, pe- he, he's a joke from the get-go. People that only know pro wrestling or, or the form of it from the last 10 or 12 years only know really WWE, if that's only as far back as they go. So this kind of guy wouldn't make any difference to them. But if you get into the kayfabe area, the era that this guy's talking about, you know, when things were... Uh, closed mouth, then you're right. He's he's going to be, uh, you know, stating things that are going to be bogus that are, are going to, you know, take the place of somebody that really did it, just like Bobby said. And it's, uh, you know, it, unfortunately, like I said, I've known someone who's done it, and he fooled a lot of people because he was a big guy, and, uh, you know, uh, he, he looked similar to Bruno, but I, he had never been in a ring in his life. Uh, and and so, you know, it's I thought about, you know, calling him out on it, but at, but at the same time, why did it really matter to do that? I mean, you know, it. I, I, I just thought better of it and said, no, it, it just, 
let him let him live his you know in this fantasy world he's living in because people that really matter that you the business know he's BSing you know and, and to some other people it it may matter it may not but uh, you know people in the business you better to accept anything this guy said. Let me give you let me give you another little example of, of how crazy people are. When I started, I went the first time I went to Cauliflower Alley was in '91, I believe '92. I don't remember, uh, 2000, whatever it was. First time I went, and then two or three years I didn't go, and then I started going back with Charlie every year. And uh, when I started going back, and, and I sat I sat there at the table and sell T-shirts with Charlie for Charlie, whatever, and I just people watch. Well, there was a guy came in the first morning we were there, and he had a mask on. And he and he had a the mask was not just on his head, it was laced up all the way down the back tight with the strings tucked in like he was going to the ring. Mm-hmm. And he had a ST on the cheek of his mask. So I asked me, I said, who's that? He said, well, I don't know. So we, after nosing around a little bit, the guy was calling himself Super Tramp. So I didn't know him, you know, never talked to him, just watched him. He'd walk around, make a picture of this. Would anybody come in a room that was uh, uh, had any any notoriety to them at all? He would walk up, shake their head, get a picture made with them. So you know, I didn't, I didn't think a whole lot about it the first day. The second day, the guy comes in, same thing. Man, I'm talking. Man, where's this mask? All day long. Where's it around the casino? The whole bit. So we were sitting there. Ed Moriarty, Moretti. I'm sorry, not Moriarty. Ed Moretti from from out out in California. He sat at the table with us one morning, and, and he asked me, he said, who is this guy? I said, I don't know. The guy comes over. He said, well, he made a picture with me yesterday. Well, the guy walks over, hands Ed an 8 by 10 picture that he had evidently brought his printer with him and printed it the night before, signed it to Ed Supertramp, and gave it to him. And Ed looked at it, and he goes, I don't know who this guy is. I've never heard of him. So... He said, what do I do with this picture? I said, there's a trash box right on the table here. And he just reached in there and threw it away. Well, Randall Brown came down that afternoon and sat down next to me. And this guy wandered over close to us. And Randall asked this guy, he said, hey, buddy, he said, where's the last place you worked? And he said, oh, he said, I was up in uh, Calgary in uh, 98, 99, early 2000. Randall said, that's quite a coincidence. He said, I had a buddy up there that was working at that time. You probably worked with him or run across him. His name was Kay Fabian. And the guy stopped, and he looked at him, and he says, who? He said, Kay Fabian. And the guy goes, no, said, I don't believe I run into him. And when he said that, I crawled under the table and was crying. I was laughing so hard. You know, at an event like you're talking about there, Bobby, uh, you know, where everybody pretty much knew everybody, unless it was somebody like the Destroyer that was known predominantly wearing his mask, you know, it would be silly for a guy like this to even to be walking around with a mask unless he was trying to impress people in the casino. So, you know, I mean, that just showed, that showed right away that he was a fraud. He's never been in the ring. I'll give Percy Pringle, Bill Moody, Paul Bear, whatever you want to know him by, the last, uh, the year, the only year he got to come while I was there, he walked in the room, and this guy walked up to Bill and said, Bill, can I get a picture made with you? And Bill stepped back and was screaming at the guy. He said, just who do you think you are? 
He said, wearing this mask. He said, look. He said, there's Dick Byer, the original destroyer. There's Mil Mascaris. He said, these guys have busted their butts and run up and down the road. Who are you? And right. he embarrassed the guy so bad. You know, the, I mean, there was people standing up and clapping, and I was one of them. And when he come, Bill come over and sit down next to me, he said, that guy's crazy. And I said, I know. You know, he's never came back to Cauliflower Alley since that day. We've never, we haven't seen him the last three years. But you never saw him without the mask on, right? Oh, I did. Yeah, I did. Oh, you did? Yeah, I did. He finally, he took it off one night. I, I can't even remember where he was. What he, I seen him and knew who he was, but that, that, that had no clue who he was. Now, he's got a, he's got a Facebook page too. I've been told. It's probably wow. the same kind of deal. But it's just, you know, these guys are out there. But if you're gonna, if you're gonna tell a lie. Going to a wrestling convention full of wrestlers, or, or going, be careful who you tell your stories to because Absolutely. they'll find you out. It doesn't take long, you know, to no. prove the people to be, uh, you know, and it's an embarrassment. Uh, speaking of an embarrassment, the, uh, at, at the Atlanta airport seems to be uh, full of them. Scott Hall, this is from the Wrestling Observer, uh, was back in the news after being kicked out of the TGIF Fridays at the Atlanta airport on September 2nd for being drunk and disrespectful to the bartender. So just <laughs> kind of staying within his uh, persona there. <laughs> uh, Let me throw something out right quick before I forget. I got a phone call here just before we went on the air to uh, uh, Don Bass, who had a good run down in the Mobile Territory and also had a good run in Memphis. Uh, yep. Uh, he is uh, in intensive care. Oh, gee. Uh, in, in Memphis Hospital, uh, Jim Casey, who is a good friend of his and also a member of the uh, – they're both members of Gulf Coast. Um, uh, Jim posted at uh, Don Flatline this morning, but they were able to revive Jeez. him. And he, is, uh, he is in intensive care in, in, uh, in the hospital in Memphis. So, so anybody can get a prayer through or a good thought, it would be very much appreciated for that family and for Don. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And uh, uh, Don Don's real name is uh, Don Welch, but he's not related to the Welches. Was uh, this Don Bass? Was he part of the Don? And was that Don and Ron? Yeah, Bass? he was Ron Ron Bass. He and Ron Bass uh, came into Mobile together with with May West and his Ma Bass, and uh, they worked uh, they worked Mobile together. They worked uh, Nashville. They worked uh, Florida together. And uh, they worked together off and on until about 80, 80 or 81. And then uh, Ron just went on his own from there. And Don kind of drifted up to uh, Memphis. And uh, he was, he's from somewhere in Arkansas originally. But uh, he stayed up around Memphis and did a lot of mass gimmicks for Jarrett and, and Lawler. Um, teamed a lot with Roger Smith under various... Uh, mass gimmicks but uh God, he's been he's been coming to mobile i guess since right around the very beginning when they first started that but then uh ron bass finally came a couple of years ago the first time the two of them had been uh been together in, in many many years how long did uh, they work as a tag team mike uh off and on probably three four years yeah, I remember the names well uh, uh, in some of the uh, regional 
papers that were put out. Uh, one that our good friend Chuck Thornton would be quite aware of, and I'm sure you guys know it. Uh, Hugh O'Brien died this past week, uh, 91 years Water. old. Yep. Uh, Water. yep. Uh, he, uh, he, uh, the life and legend of Wyatt Earp, which actually predated Gunsmoke about a week. Uh, and he was 91 years old. He stayed active up until his mid-80s. And one of his claims to fame was that he was the last man to be killed by uh, John Wayne in the movies. Uh, in the shooters, the, uh, yes. That, the shooters, that's yeah. right. Wayne's last movie, and he was the major uh, heel in that in that movie. And, you know, I was um, just he, watching the, uh, uh, Bruce Lee's last movie. Um, that they released several years after his death, mm-hmm. that he only filmed uh, about half of it, and the rest of it they they had uh, filmed a guy from behind, and you know had uh, shots in the mirror. And, <laughs> you know. But uh, Hugh O'Brien was in that movie. It was a movie called uh, Game of Death, and Hugh really? O'Brien and Dean Dean Jagger and. Uh, uh, Oh, what was the other one's name? Uh, Gig Young. We're all in that movie. Wow. But, uh, in fact, they were in it more than Bruce Lee was, and he was the star of the movie. <laughs> but, Gig yeah, Young. Has a, the life of White Earp is the only one of those those old westerns that has not been released and is not available on home video of any kind. Or home entertainment of any kind. How many of them you want? I can record it right off of Stars Network. Well, I mean, I've got it every too. day. I've, I've got the Western channel. I'll, I'll cut you. I'll cut you a deal. It uh, was very, it was very historically accurate. That TV show was in uh, how wider was presented. Much more. Yeah, so my than favorite. That, my favorite of that time frame was. Was Bat Masterson with a little cane walking around? Gene Barry, I thought that was kind of unique. Gary, did you get much rain this week, sir? Not really. Okay, good. Charleston's still looking at uh, more rain right now, I think. Uh, It's a little further up there. Yeah, I see the weather the other night, and I thought, man, Jerry must have done something real bad to deserve this. (laughs) I must have. Because it looked pretty nasty when it started up through there. But it it, it really wasn't nothing Good. to it. I'm glad. Well, we were talking about Hugh O'Brien passing. We lost uh, two from our profession uh, this past week as well. First of all, Lord Littlebrook, who was 87 years old. And uh, Littlebrook, uh, he had an interesting career. He, uh, he was uh, originally with the circus. In uh, in England, is both an acrobat and a clown, and uh, he got the opportunity to come to America with a circus. And the circus he came over here with shut down after a season. And uh, he just happened to run into somebody who asked him about uh, becoming a, a, you know, getting involved in wrestling. So he relocated up to. Uh, uh, Windsor or Ontario or wherever it is up there where Jack Jack Britton and uh, Burt Ruby who were uh, involved with the Detroit promotion prior to uh, Farhat buying it um, but they were the, the 
impresarios of, of midget wrestlers at that time. And uh, Littlebrook uh, trained through them and, and got started and became uh, very much in demand and decided to go off on his own. So he worked a deal with uh, Gus Karras out of St. Joseph, Missouri, um, to relocate there, and uh, he started his own troupe and started training, you know, guys and, and booking them and, you know, continued to wrestle himself. And he not only uh, trained midget wrestlers, he trained, you know, normal-sized guys, too. In fact, Jerry, you may know this. He trained Ed Wiskowski. I did not know that. Yes. A little bit I saw him work. Easy is. Go ahead. I saw him work several times. Did uh, did little, little Tokyo? I saw him work with Little Tokyo. Did he uh, work? Did he work for Lord Little Brook? Or was yeah. That just yeah. In fact, uh, uh, Tokyo lived there in St. Joseph as well. Um, he had a whole whole group of guys that that uh, he more or less took over the booking of the midget wrestlers towards the end of the '60s and, and into the '70s. When uh, Burt Ruby had already passed away and, and Jack Britton had kind of faded out of it, um, there was another guy that uh, ran through Tennessee with him. Uh, Bobby he used to come to the uh, Mobile reunion. What was it, Buddy Hack? Was that his yes. name? Buddy Hack was uh, was was another one that traveled with uh, the little guys and everything. Of course, you know the, the midget girls were all through Moolah. But uh, one of the best best matches I think I ever saw with the midgets, and I'm talking it was an act. There was a little, you know, there's always a little comedy with the midgets, but one of the best pure wrestling matches I've ever seen was was Little Brook when he worked with a guy. And I'm supposing he trained him too, but he was a he worked his little beaver. Mm-hmm. And buddy, those guys could go. I uh, remembering back and seeing some pictures. I, I, I Little Beaver, I think. Was a little bit older than I was some of say, those guys. Yeah, Little Beaver, Little Beaver was one of uh, Britain's. You know, he came in with same time Sky Lolo and uh, okay. Fuzzy Cupid and those guys did. Um, he was a French Canadian. His name was uh, Lionel Garot. Was Little Beaver, and uh, but it was a dead ringer for George Goble. You could put the two of them side <laughs> by side, and you wouldn't be able to tell them apart. Well, Gobo was kind of little, also, yeah. But yeah, he he was a good worker, Little Beaver. And so it, you had to almost see him in a still picture or something like that to really look at him and sit, look him at him in the face and see, you know, he's 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 kind of an older guy, you know. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, and then uh, also, I mean, this guy I didn't know until Bobby mentioned it that uh, I didn't know this guy ever worked in Georgia. Uh, Moose Morowski. The only thing I knew him, he worked mainly across Canada, the Pacific Northwest. I know he had a long run out in Amarillo for the Funks. Uh, yeah, he worked there. But, yeah, made uh, uh, made a couple of trips with him. Good guy. He he. Uh, uh, I said the other day when I posted. One thing you could count on if you rode with him, he was going to wear a Merle Haggard eight track out. But uh, <laughs> he was, he was uh, yeah. We, uh, matter of fact, I made uh, I rode to Savannah with him one time. We were in the car together about eight hours. Rick Martell rode with us, and uh, uh, we made that trip. 
Do you have come across him anywhere, Jerry? Uh, just here. It's the only time. I, I, after he left here, I don't know where he went. Or I never ran into him anywhere. Well, I know he worked up uh, up in uh, British Columbia a lot for for uh, Kaneski and Al Tomko when they were running up there, and and I'm um, I think uh, when Ed Moretti was trying to run in Idaho, I think Moose, Moose worked up there with him, and then like I said, the the longest run I know he had was he was in Amarillo for a couple years during Funk Seniors. Um, prior to him passing away and uh, he had a had a big run there and, and you know of course he worked some places under a mask he was the, the black avenger at different places and stuff like that but I, I never saw him work I just know him, knew him from the magazines okay here's an ego trip for you Vince McMahon his, one of his latest deals uh, he claims he owns the merchandise rights to Dusty Rhodes. Uh, Cody Rhodes can't use the name Rhodes if he appears on television because Vince McMahon says he owns the name. And he can't write a book about his father and use his name unless he's working for the WWE. Now, we're not talking about somebody that's the mighty whoever, you know, uh, that had never worked anywhere under a name until they went to the WWE, but we're talking about a name that goes back, you know, 40 years or more in the professional wrestling business, and Vince McMahon is ready with his big lawyers and everything else to sue Cody Rhodes if he uses that name. It's, uh, I mean, you know, and obviously Rhodes doesn't have, I wouldn't think, he, I think there is a family lawyer, but, uh, you know, the kind of money it's going to take to... Uh, to go up against Vince to do something like this, it's 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 really sad that he would, you know, I guess he's trying to show anybody that, you know, once you work for me, whatever that name is, it belongs to me, but uh, that that's ridiculous. <laughs> not surprising, speaking. though. No, no, not surprising. Once you're there, you're his, unless he doesn't want you anymore. You know, that's 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 the other end of it. If he thinks there's any money to be made, then uh, forget it. And even if there's not, you know, he's it's just to show he 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 owns the world. Yes, and he owns him. Yeah, it's also from the Wrestling News, Wrestling Observer newsletter. Have to give him credit, otherwise I'd be in trouble. Well. Well, now that Little Brook's gone, Bobby, that kind of blows your conspiracy theory because Tom yes, Burke still yes, with us. Yeah, so. man, you know, if Tom Burke shows up, uh, I guess that blows it. <laughs> well, has Tom Burke showed up since? Well, I haven't seen oh, yeah. him. You know, I'm going to have to see him in person. Uh, you know, I always told him every time I'd see him, I, I'd tell him, I'd say, you know, Little Brook was making an appearance, and then he'd laugh, and I'd say, you know, it's true. I've never seen you and Little Brook in the same room at the same time. So... <laughs> Just not sure. <laughs> well, I wrestled for Vince one time. I wonder if I can use my name. <laughs> oh, jeez. Not if he's got any. Not if he's got any videotape of you. know. 
Well, I guess you need to write a book, Jerry, and see if he's going to try to uh, sue you for using your name in the book. Well, well, good luck. Anybody? Well, I don't know if I've ever asked. I don't know if I've ever asked you that. Has anybody ever approached you about uh, writing a book about your adventures in the professional wrestling business? Uh, there was a guy in my hometown that tried to get me to do it. I said, I'm, I'm not. I'm not wasting my time with that. I appreciate the offer, but I mean, who wants to hear what I got to say? I mean, really? I mean, four people? I mean, I, I just want <laughs> waste any of my time doing. It. All they'd have to do is go ahead. I was just saying, all they'd have to do is feed you certain lines about certain things. You know, uh, you you might think you don't have anything to say, but they could talk about things like uh, a guy in Dudleyville or wherever it is, (laughs) charging. And and the next thing you know, you could you could talk for thirty minutes just on that one subject. You know, I could wind up killing the guy interviewing me. You know, then I wind up in prison. I mean, I just, I just, I just you know, if, my, if my I had been somebody, you know, if I'd have, uh, I was, you know, I was just another guy that did it. And, you know, I, I don't, I, I, I don't, you know, you know, that's very, that, that, that's, uh, you know, I won't, you know, that's very non-egotistical of you to say that, but. But you worked a long time. You weren't. You were way past being a journeyman in the ring, uh, both as a tag team uh, performer and as a singles. And you held several major titles, Jerry. So I, I wouldn't uh, classify you as just another guy in the ring. Well, I, I, I appreciate you, that, but you know, I just. Uh, and you also, and you also worked six man tags with the McGuire's. See, I got that up on a lot of people. I yeah. can throw that. In there. I could put that on the cover of the book, me and the McGuire fans. I think Bobby's got a picture of that somewhere. Uh, yeah, it'd be it'd be the cover front and back. It'd wrap all the way around the book. <laughs> it would have hey, to. Listen, man, uh, not everybody Jerry has would, a fan club, you know. I mean, jeez. <laughs> Jerry well, would be on the spine. His picture would be on the spine. One McGuire would be on one side and one on the other. In all yeah, seriousness, mentioning the McGuire twins, in you guys' opinion, there was a lot of a lot of you know big guys that came through our business as far as yep. height and and weight and everything. Who who in your opinion was the best big man wrestler that you ever saw work? Or are you asking me that? I'm asking all of you that. When you say big, how big are we talking about? I think we've got to define big. Well, you know, I mean, you, there, you could look at it like big being Ernie Ladd, tall, big, or, you know, big McGuire, Haystack, Calhoun, big. or Right. I don't think there was a better, a better big man worker than you named him, Ernie Ladd. He could head scissor, drop kick everything. But you know, I I think you're more talking like guys that were attraction type guys, right? That would no, no. no I'm talking about just just an, an actual you know big guy like like Lad was. You know, well, he was you definitely didn't know a big Ernie, guy. You'd have to tell Ernie to tighten up so you'd have to know where he was. Well, that's <laughs> I mean, seriously, seriously, he was he was that light. I mean, he was a monster as far as size. Well, a big man that could do. I mean, Ernie Ernie. Even with his bad knees, uh, bless his heart, he he. I worked with him quite a few times, and and he was he he was a joy to work with. Really, I mean, I, I don't I don't know of anybody 
I guess Jonathan was a good worker. I never yeah, I was yeah. going to say Donnelly or Jonathan would would be my my choice. He I just saw him work. I never actually saw him work uh, in you know. Well, in the I, ring. I never I just, saw him work live, but I've seen videotape of him, and even not only from when he was young, but even up into the mid seventies when he was run, doing. Uh, uh, in Japan, I've got a match of him and Tim Woods working in Japan that is absolutely out of this world. Was, uh, so was, was that, uh, he was fighting for his life? He had to do good. <laughs> was uh, was Billy Robinson big, or is that just you know? Because I never no. saw anything but pictures no. of him either. No. He weighed about two sixty, maybe six yeah. two, maybe. But you ever worked with him? No, I was partners with him some in Louisiana. I didn't want to work with him. I'll tell you. I'll tell you the biggest. Uh, he wasn't tall. He was bigger rounds. He was tall, but he's the best bump man I ever saw for a person that size. And that's Jerry Blackwell. Yeah. Yeah, he yep. can take a lot of bumps. He can throw a drop he kick drop too. too. Yes, sir. He could yeah. drop kick too. He could throw. I've seen him take back drops over the top rope and do all sorts of crazy stuff. Yeah, he 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 would fool you. But that's it's that's kind of limited. I mean, really. Yeah. You know, as far as working, you know, the big guys that worked, you know, the, we laugh about the McGuire's. They couldn't do anything. They were The attraction was their size. <laughs> but a guy like Haystacks, you could have a little match with Haystacks. Yeah, Haystacks wasn't yeah. bad. He, he was probably, I would think he was probably a better wrestler than he gave you the impression he was because he was working his gimmick, you know. And and he had to scuffle as he called it or whatever. And especially yeah. especially in his early you know, earlier days. Even and he was heavier when he was younger and he was even better then because he was more mobile. By the time right. he you know, I saw him in the seventies, he was probably down to about four hundred and twenty pounds or so, even though they were still building him at over six hundred. Um I tell you, a big man that couldn't work. Besides Moose Cholock, and that was uh, Tiny Fraser. Now he could work a he could work a dressing room, but he couldn't work a man. Yeah, he'd say you something. <laughs> yeah. I give you another. I give you another one that was in that same category. Gorilla Watts. Oh, good yeah. grief! <laughs> well, that's that's uh. uh Latitude instead of longitude. I don't know. You know, it's a, when he was, when he came into so Mobile bad. and they decided to put him put him on top and 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 put the the title on him. The only thing he could do, and it became his his big finishing hold. Of course, he couldn't talk because he stuttered so bad. So they put they put uh, Al Galento with him as his ma- his manager. And uh, the only thing was, Al was starting to get up in age there, and and every time he'd talk about him, he'd call him Sweet Daddy Sicky instead of Sweet Daddy Rose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Was that That's after he anyway, worked You know, the only thing he could do was uh, well, front face lock, so that became his finisher. So basically his matches were, you know, guys trying to, you know, Take him off his feet for two or three minutes, and then him grabbing him in a front face lock, and and uh, that was it. That was it. And uh, he worked his he worked his his big feud. He worked with uh, Mike Boyette, if you can imagine that. 
who was all knees was and elbows, and uh, Mike, working you, with Mike. You're you're a historian. You you mentioned uh, Moose Cholak a while ago. Yeah. I want you to find the first person that sold him a wrestling license, and I want to take out a lawsuit against him. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what's wrong with me today, that joke of what he did to you. <laughs> well, you know, Moose was actually, he was a a fairly decent amateur wrestler, supposedly. I don't know there's a lot of difference, you know, but... Uh, uh, he did, what did he do? Try and climb in the ring with that moose head on and stumble and fall, and fall on you? In, this was in St. Louis. He liked to beat me to death before I won the match. And when I when I got back, I mean that St. Louis there was no place like St. Louis. When I got back to the they had a stage there, when I got there, I had two guys waiting on me. Briscoe was one of them, and Hollywood was the other, and they wanted to know why I didn't knock him out. That's how bad it was. Mm. He was that that goof. I tell you, he, was, he he could work out. Now, when he was younger, I will give him that. When when in the in the early sixties, when he was still before he he, you know, went to the the lumberjack gimmick, he was still called the Golden Moose, and he'd come out there with that moose head on his on his. Uh, his head and and get in the ring. There's a if if you want to take the time to find it, go on YouTube and find a match between Moose Cholock and Leaping Larry Chain. And I'm telling you, that is a match that well, it wouldn't matter for people you know wrestling the business today. But if you were coming along in the 70s, that was would be the match to watch to see a perfect small guy work a big guy. And both of them work real well in that match, including Cholock. Well, but uh, then, there, then there's a match on there with him and Bobo Brazil. It's like watching paint dry. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, Geigo didn't tell me this while I went to St. Louis because he owned a piece of St. Louis, too. I got back to Kansas City to do TV the next morning, and Geigo had already heard about it, what he did. So... He said, I'll tell you about Moose, Cholo, Moose Cholock, and, and don't think Geigo couldn't take care of himself. He was partners with with Moose Cholock one night against Joe Tangaro and somebody else. He broke Probably Geigo's ribs, ribs and uh, uh, Joe Tangaro's nose, and Geigo was his partner. That's, how, that's, that's what kind of – and then they let this man rough. Yeah, that's like teaming up with Ox. Huh. I was going to say, they should have put him and Ox Baker together. They'd have killed each other. And I just, just, just for, I just for the fun of it, thrown in uh, Guillotine Gordon in there with him as well. Well, I Gary, was this, was, he, was this just because Sherlock was clumsy, uh, you know, that he caused these injuries to to the other guy? Or was he you doing know, it on I, purpose? I, I, I think it was, uh, 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 it was on purpose, like, accidentally. I think he, if he was that goofy, you know, what I should have done is take one of those folding chairs and waited on him when he walked back there and let him have it. That that guy, he was, he was, a, <laughs> and, and and Gordon, Guillotine Gordon was just as bad. There were some yeah. dangerous guys out there. They didn't mean to be. They were just 
I think I think I think Cholak knew what he was doing though. Well, He's I'm surprised somebody didn't kill him. You know, just well, you know, how many times are you going to get away with something like that? When you see a grown man coming through a crowd with moose antlers on, there's something wrong with it. <laughs> well, you know, Jerry said this before. You know, the thing is, these guys, you know, and I, listen, I'm 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 the least toughest guy that's ever climbed in the ring for anything. But I'm going to tell you something. The majority of these guys, <clears throat> it's kind of easy to beat up a guy when the guy's giving you his body thinking you're going to work with him. Sure. Yeah. Thank you very much. You know, if if you go in there and you know the guy's going to do it to you, it ain't going to be that easy. And I think most of these guys, you know, the guys that were real dangerous, I mean, I mean, like Fez and John Foley and 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 some others that you can name. These guys, these guys didn't go in there and take advantage of people. No. Right. If you went in there and worked hard and did your job, they work with you. I, I wrestled yep. John Foley one night in a tag match because somebody didn't show up, and I was as scared of him as if he had had a loaded gun pointed at me, <laughs> and he treated me with kid gloves. I mean, he treated me with kid gloves, and when it was all over, came up to me and said, hey, kid, you did good. Thank you. I mean, you know, so, I mean, uh, I just, you know, a guy like that, you know, talking about Hans Schmidt, the deal you had with him and Sean. They pick their spots. They pick their spots. They do. You know. They do. The guys that want to be tough do. Uh, yeah, they was they was guy, and I th- I think of, of course I didn't I wasn't around near as many as you guys were, but the one that I saw the worst about it that I was around, and luckily I never never worked with him, was Brody. Brody was Mother. definitely. Just take it, take advantage of somebody if he knew he could do it, you know. I tell you, another guy that did it too was Jardine. Yeah, yeah, he, he would, had he would beat the crap well. out of people he knew he could get away with it on. But if a guy, yeah, if a guy put up any resistance to him at all, it was amazing how well he could work. Yeah, I, I, I worked with him. You let him know right quick he wasn't going for that. Yep. Yep. Yeah, Armstrong threatened to kill him one time in Atlanta, you know. And, yeah, and, and, and I'm sure Bob could have too. Yes, yes, you know. And and, <laughs> and, and and well, that happened. Well, it happened on a Monday. Bob came to the office. He told him. He said, "I'm tired of it." And that Monday night, they were booked in Augusta, and I happened to be there to referee that little soiree. And buddy, they had the best batch I have ever seen two guys have. <laughs> and when they got back to the dressing room. Arms, uh, Jardine made the comment. He said, "Man, I didn't know you could work like that." <laughs> he told Jardine, "He said, because that's the first night you ever worked." <laughs> so you know, it, you, they like I say, they pick their spots. They know yeah, who I, they can I, get I away with. I never did understand Jardine's uh, his gig with all that. You know, me neither. Me neither. Well, he was an odd character anyway. Just, just. The way he was, he was odd. I mean, you know, quite quite just walking on a rope proves, you know, really and truly. I mean, it proves nothing when the guy's holding your hand to keep you up there. You just nailed it. Now, do it without somebody holding you up, holding you up there. The only one I well, Don Leo Jonathan could do it. He could do kip ups and everything else, and he was. You know, and he was not a small guy. He wasn't, you know, six foot nine as they build him at it. But he was, he was probably six five, six six, and you know, two hundred eighty pounds. 
I met him in uh, Seattle. He didn't wrestle. He was just there. A super nice man. Yeah. Very, very nice man. Just very nice. Jomo used to tell me stories about that guy. I never met him. He said he was a, 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 I don't know the right word. He could he could dive without the assistance of a of a scuba outfit or anything. He it was how far he could go down, just holding his breath. I mean he like he was like diving, yeah he just unreal. Yeah, you know, that's what he did outside of the wrestling business. He had a. Um, a underwater salvage company. He, that, cleaned, that, he had a company that cleaned the bottom of those ships. Yep. Yeah, he, he was telling me about it. He, he, man, what a nice guy he was. Yeah, I've seen takes of him. He, he, like you say, he could do kip ups and everything. For a guy that big, that's that's hard to believe. Hard to believe. And say I I always thought Ron Fuller was for as tall and lanky as he was. I always thought he was a decent worker. Well, yeah, he wasn't. He wasn't. Yeah. He wasn't. He wasn't in the Tex McKenzie, you know, category. <laughs> but Tex Tex's personality got him over. He was he was such a nice guy that, that you know you couldn't help but like him, but. I don't know that I'd ever want to be in the ring with him. But I I wrestled Fuller a couple of times, and he was, you know, he had good balance and everything. And well, what's the latest on Dudley since that was mentioned earlier? <laughs> anything new? I hadn't heard anything else. I'm assuming the guy's still in jail, or if he's out, he nobody said anything. Well, has maybe any, Dennis Mitchell. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say has maybe it, Dennis Mitchell knows something. Uh, he, you know, he usually stays up on what's going on, and he's been holding about 30 minutes. So uh, uh you there, Dennis? Yes, sir, guys. How, how y'all doing today? We're All good, right. Dennis. Well, Jerry, I forgot to wish you a happy birthday. I want to wish Jerry a happy late birthday, and I uh, hope Thank you have many more, Jerry. You're Thank welcome, you, sir. sir. Well, you're welcome, sir. Uh, I was going to let y'all know that I haven't heard too much about Greg Green lately. I was going to let you know I was on a Columbus Civic Center website. They're definitely going to have wrestling on October 1st, Saturday night at 6 o'clock. Saturday night at 6 o'clock? 6 or 5 o'clock my time. Who's who's wrestling? The Steiner Brothers are going to be there, Mr. Hughes, and some guy named Gunner and Bunch of some of them look like TNA people and right and all that. And right. I, I think I saw. I think uh, Bruce uh, Bruce Sharp said that the the current NWA World Heavyweight Champion was going to be there. Whoever that is, I don't know who it is. But you know that's pretty sad. His name, that, I couldn't tell you who he was. That's pretty sad not to know who it is. I mean, really, that's how much importance it's got today. And the guy may be a good worker. Yeah, he may be. Yeah. There is no NWA anymore. I'm having a vision. <laughs> Somebody's going to lose a chunk of money. Or several people going to lose a chunk of money. If this comes off, I'll be shocked. And if it, if it, if, if, I hope these guys smart enough to get their money up front. I'm where, sure they where, will where, this time, Bobby. Where is this going to be, Dennis? 
Columbus Civic Center. Six o'clock. Six o'clock your time, yes, sir. And what what's the date? October the first. Uh, they got billboards up in Columbus, I tell you. Billboards. Well, that's what somebody had told me last week, but I haven't seen anything. Greg Brown is yeah. Well, guys, yeah, they, yeah, well, TNA is in pretty bad shape. TNA is in pretty bad shape. So I would imagine, like you said there, Dennis, that it's probably going to be uh, a few of the guys uh, from the TNA that are going to be on that card. I was going to get y'all's reaction to guys. Dixie Carter don't have TNA no more. The guy that used to be lead center in the Smashing Puckins, Michael, you're familiar with him, probably. Oh, Billy, yeah, Billy Corgan. Corgan. Yeah. What do you think of him taking over? He can't do any worse than Dixie Carter did, you don't think, do you? Billy Corgan uh, is a true wrestling fan. Yeah. He is. I he comes to Cauliflower Alley. He kind of stays under the radar, but he comes to Cauliflower Alley, you know, kind of in and out down there uh, from time to time. He is a true wrestling fan, so, you know, if he's got the money, maybe. And who's this? Who's this? Billy Corgan. He's the lead singer for the Smashing Pumpkins. It's been about 20 years since they had a hit. Um, yep, you know, they didn't have many of them. But the thing about it is, you know, he's got, he may be the biggest fan in the world. He may have all the greatest ideas in the world, but he doesn't have anybody that knows how to work. Period. I know, guys. He's got to do I mean, it, you got right? you got the Hardy Boys, and you got you know, and, but they stay so drugged up, and and Kurt Angle, and he's between his drug problems and his health problems, he can't work. And, and the fact is that when I say they can't work, I don't, that doesn't mean they can't get in there and, and flip flop around like they do now, but they cannot wrestle and 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 make a decent match. In my opinion. Before we go any further here, did she is she really out? Did she sell this? She went broke or what? I think she just she probably got a different title. I mean, her dad owns yeah. the whole thing. Oh, she has been kind of the the face the face of the of the promotion for a while, and you know I think there's a face saving thing on her going out. But it says in the wrestling news, Corgan's problems are still the same as have always existed which is how you can run a company when the revenue coming in can't cover things like payroll and television production, and you don't have the ability to make a profit doing live events, and the pay-per-view business is largely dead. So, you know, once again, how are you going to make this work when you don't have enough money coming in uh, to cover your costs? So what you actually own is nothing. Yeah, there you go. Bo, Bo James called me. They ran a show, TNA ran a show, and it's been a couple of years ago, at the big building in Johnson City up there where Bo lives. And he went over there just to see, you know, how many people were there. He said they could have fired a bazooka in there and not did any damage to anybody. That's not good. No, he Can said. Can you imagine you paying the rent on these buildings? And I mean, oh, yeah. right. what are people thinking? <coughs> I don't remember the story. He told me they were going to do a TV taping that night, and they had so few people there, they canceled the TV taping. That's pretty bad, guys. (laughs) Well, I think it's people trying to live in the past, you know, and uh, somebody that 
that thinks they can keep that going, as Jerry has said several times, it's done, it's over with, Katie, bar the door, it forget is. it. I mean, it is. I mean, but, but, but what is it they're trying to keep going? They're not trying to present wrestling like we knew. You know, what they're, trying, they're trying to do they're trying to do a cheap knockoff imitation of what Vince does without the money, well, without the production. And they're never gonna make none of them are gonna make it work. Ring of Honor, none of them are gonna make it work. The only ones well, that, that have carved out a little niche for themselves and, and, and I watch them every week is Lucha Underground. In fact, yeah. in fact a friend of mine uh who's a screenwriter uh and independent producer that lives in New York he has just uh, gotten together a deal um, with another um, lucha company that they're going to have their first event next month in somewhere in Washington, um, the state of Washington. Okay. And, but they're using a lot of the lucha underground. They're using Rey Mysterio Jr. They're going to have uh, uh, Alberto Del Rio that just quit uh, Vince. He's going to be Good there. Um, Conan's involved in all that, but you know, and so you know, it's a it's a different. You know, they've carved out their little niche, and they're not trying to compete with what what Vince is doing. They don't do anything like what Vince does, and it's it's a total separate deal. And and you know, Robert Rodriguez is in his, his third season now, and it's drawing good ratings and. And of course, I, I don't know that they do live shows or, or house shows anywhere. But other than, but as far as a television series, it's it's a successful thing. So you know. Yeah. Well, guys, I agree with you. Know. What's that? Go ahead. Is TNA, is TNA still on TV? Uh, yeah, barely. I believe Jerry. so, but I couldn't tell you where. Or what it's channel. gone through several. Ca- yeah, they've gone through several ca- cable uh, deals. And, you know, once again, trying to save face and trying to say stay on the air uh, because if they don't, they know their roster is gone. Uh, yeah, and it's on, been very tough trying channel. to make payroll. They're on Pop Channel right now. Yeah, Every which used to be the TV time. Guide channel. It used to be the, the, the where you, if you didn't have a TV Guide in front of you, you could flick on that channel and tell you what was coming on. And the, the, the shows right. ran in the background. But now it's an actual yeah. channel. But it's... No it's it's you know, it's not high definition as far as I know, and so you know. And the thing yeah. is, you know, I, I don't know how in the world that they're even, you know, how they're even paying guys. I don't know. I don't know either. That's kind of strange, ain't it? You know, like you said, they don't bring enough revenue, and where are they getting this money from? Well, we've where seen people another? try to do that. You know, guys that had a lot of money come in and try to resurrect some operation or put something together as a competitor and you know the money runs out and then it's gone and they've lost a lot of money i was going to ask bobby too like when bobby go bobby when you go to cauliflower alley and all that does Mm -hmm. anyone out there that go out there does eric bischoff or vince russo or any of them go out there or not or they know they wouldn't be welcome there no i've never seen them there yeah, that's good. They don't need to be there anyway. Yeah, they opinion. don't. I mean, you know, anybody's welcome, but I've never seen them there. Yeah, I just wanted, I just wondering about that. I was going to ask y'all too. What became of that lady that tried to shoot Nature Boy Pauline Ringo, Georgia? What become of that, guys? What's the latest? I think she's uh, Greg Green's lawyer or something. <laughs> <laughs> 
or maybe her his, their cousins. Yeah, I've seen no more about it. Dime seed WDL. Yeah. It's probably dropped the charges, and you know it was the best publicity he could have got for his little promotion sure. up there. So, you know, uh, they figured yeah, if the little old lady wants to kill him, why not let me go see? I may want to kill him too. You know. <laughs> Man. And just like Real all my- independent guys, they'll continue to do it. You know, every time they go back to that town, they'll do it till they kill the town. Yeah, that's or true. the wrestlers. Well, guys, yeah, that's true, guys. Guys, y'all keep it good work. I'll keep listening. Thank you. All right, Thank you. All right, Dennis. Good night. All right, guys. Since the three of you live up in the Atlanta area, y'all know everything that goes on. I want to know how many guys admitted, of the boys, admitted they went to Dudley. I don't know. I haven't talked to any of them, so I don't know. Like I, I know said, Charlie your, Smith your, went. Your brother was your brother was advertised as going down there, but I don't know if he if he was he Ted was probably smart enough not to go. Unless I, he had I, money up. There. I have no idea. I, I just I, I just that was kind of a joke question. I just. I, I still think about that every day. I cannot believe they went for that. Well, you Whoever know, I, they are. I mean, are, are, you, you, you think about it in certain contexts. Are, are they so, you know, nostalgic or hard up for the for the old days that they're willing to put themselves out there on speculation or, 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 or a promise, you know? I, I don't know what would possess anybody to go. I mean, I know Bobby goes to Cauliflower Alley. I mean, and what I don't understand about you, you know, we, we I, it was a great business. There's no doubt about it. And, and they, you talk about the Cauliflower Alley, all these guys over there. You got some guy walking around with a mask on, nobody knows who he is. I mean, why would you let people like that in there? I mean, I, I just. Well, the Cauliflower the Alley is, for the, is for the fans as well. That's yeah, anybody so. that joins that. And, it, you know, the, the thing about Cauliflower Alley is it is a nonprofit and. And it does do some good. I, I, that's one thing I can say for them. They they have scholarships that they give out, and they they do help people that get down on their luck or sick or whatever. I, I mean, that's. But but the thing about I go with Charlie to people watch. I'll be real honest. I sit there for two and a half days with Charlie selling them shirts just so I can watch people. I love to sit oh, and watch sure people. It's a joke. You, you know, know, it's it's a it's a it's 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 real entertaining. Yeah, but how many times? How many times can you you see a grown man walking around with a with a pretend wrestling belt? You know, uh, you know. We've uh, uh, as Jerry had suggested at the beginning of the show, uh, he's finally joined us. I see that uh, Greg Brown has uh, called in, so let's see what he's got to say. Let, let me throw this in while you're getting Greg on the phone. We were talking. You're talking about that belt when we went to to. Uh, Blakely, me and Scrappy and Randy and uh, uh, you, Michael. You know we were. Yeah. Remember, remember the guy came in had that had that NWA title belt. Yep. He comes in, sits on front row. They drove. He drove what 150 miles? He said or something from somewhere in Florida to come yep. up to this, and he brings his own belt. Now he's just fans sitting on front row. You can tell that, you know, the lights is on, but you pretty well figure out there ain't nobody home when you start talking to him. But he had a belt. And I don't remember what he said he paid for that belt. But this was not the cheap knockoff replica. This was this was a, a shoot, show enough belt that he had had made. And I guess he bought it probably from Reggie Parks. I don't know who else makes those things. 
And I know Reggie Parks don't sell those things cheap, and he don't give them away. And I'm thinking, why does somebody pay that kind of money? And, he, and his claim to fame for this belt was he got Ric Flair to sign it somewhere on the back. But I just, uh, this was, it was just, it was odd, you know, that, that he would walk around with this belt. And, and, and uh, you know, I, I don't know what satisfaction that gives somebody, but, yeah, that's, everybody out there has got a belt now. I got one. Except me, but if I ever run across Greg Brown, I'm taking whatever belt he's got. (laughs) You're on the air, Greg. Hello, guys. Hey, Greg. How you doing? Good. Hey, Greg. Just joining in. I just left Bible study, so I'm just joining in. Greg, you and I talked earlier today. You haven't told me yet, but since you're on the air, tell us which match you're on in Columbus October the 1st. I'm not on any match in Columbus October the 1st. I figured you'd be having a rematch with whoever you worked when you went to uh, uh, Dudley, Georgia. I wasn't in Dudley either. (laughs) (laughs) Greg, tell them about the billboard. Well, I was in Columbus last week. on 13th Street, Arnold Divide, and they got a big sign. Uh, you got the status, you know, face, Rick and Scott's face on the billboard. But I, tonight I actually looked into, uh, looked at the, on the website, and they have about seven matches, maybe eight, and all the matches are championship matches. And of course. the guys on the card, I mean, besides the status, the only guy that I even remotely know about is a guy named Gunn that worked for uh, TNA. The rest of them I never heard of. You got the, uh, you know the website, Greg? I just, what I did was I Googled, I said, professional wrestling in Columbus, Georgia, October 1st. And it came okay. up, and, it, you know, they had the card and who was going to be on. But they think they might have a, a lights out match or a ladder match as a special attraction. So, oh, all the light, uh, I don't even think they go turn the lights on for this. That's what I'm saying. They're running that big building. <laughs> Man, I'm telling line. you, my my vision's getting stronger. Somebody's fixing to lose their shirt. That's right. <laughs> That's what you well, call every, it. Every every title every match is a title match. That means either the Steiners. Have a title. What title do they have that they're defending? Or if they're wrestling for a title, if they win it, what are they going to do with it? Where are they going to go with it and defend it? Well, here they 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 have well, they're going to have the NWA Heavyweight Championship match. They're going to have the NWA Tag Team. Then they'll have the the World NWA World Junior Heavyweight Heavyweight Title match. They'll have the NWA World Women's World Champion match. Then they'll have the Georgia. Heavyweight Championship match, and then the Georgia Tag Team Championship match. Gee, my nerdy. This means Bruce Tharp's making a killing, putting all them champions in there, and he'll probably be there. Yep, and he'll be the only one that leaves with any money in his pocket. And you know, the thing is, it'll look like everybody there will have a gimmick table set up. It'll look like Ringling Brothers. <laughs> you know, well, I don't know about that. Wait, wait, wait now. I don't know about that. In those buildings, they get a percentage if you do that. I'm telling. Oh, you. I know, but uh, you know, 
Mm. I've dealt with Smith Novelty Company. He'll find a way around that. <laughs> I don't know if Charlie's going down there or not. I done told him. I told him when he first mentioned it. I said, no, I'm not going. I said, I'll ride with you if you'll drop me off at my daughter's and pick me up when you leave. I wouldn't be seen down there. Where is that building? Where is that, Where is this, the uh, same place the old building was? Fourth Avenue yes. dead ends into it. Okay. Ain't that the right that's street, the, ain't it? Fourth? It's, it's, that's, it was forever. Now it's Veterans Parkway. Veterans Parkway. But it was Fourth Avenue. Where, 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 where the old municipal auditorium used to be then? Same, same place. Same spot. Okay. Yeah, you're what right, size Bobby, building is this? How many, how, how many people could you put into it? 10,000. Yeah. Well, all I can do is tell them uh, to give them a little circus advice. Figure out a way to get on Fort Benning and give away tickets. Maybe you might make some gimmick money. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, uh, you know, what what that cost? That that was that was back. It hadn't been up long, and it, I, I told you about my experience. My best friend, Mike Henry, Henry went down there. He on the city council and everything. It's ten grand up front. Then it starts adding up quick from there. That's kind of, that's not counting the police, you know, the whole ball of wax. Nothing. That's a lot of money. That's, mm. that's a ton of money. What are the tickets, Greg? Does it say on that thing? It didn't say. It didn't say what the ticket price is. I didn't say, I didn't say you can buy your tickets. I guess you can buy them online, but it says, you know, purchase tickets here and online, but they didn't give you prices or anything. Is it a, is that a Ticketmaster building? Yes. I believe it is, yeah. Ticketmaster gets a percentage for every ticket they print, too. Yeah, thank like you. 1% or 2% or 5% oh, or something. Mm. Plus the service fee on the ticket goes to Ticketmaster. And the shipping and the handling, even though you're picking them up, or they'll they're, they're email them to you, they're still going to charge you shipping and handling. That's right. See, if you want to average, just say you want to average $12 a head, average. Well, you can't sell a ticket for $12 and think you've got $12 in your hand. I mean, it's, it's listen, you you start putting a pencil of paper to that and make your hair stand straight up on your head. Yes, sir. People have no clue. I mean, I I have sat there and, you know, I've settled up many nights at the Omni in Atlanta, and that building was, you know, a little, a little bigger than that one. But I'm telling you, there's there's licenses. There's in, If they don't have insurance, the building will sell them insurance that you have to pay for because you, you can bet they're going to be named as an additional insured on somebody's policy are you not oh, gonna run in their building? I forgot about that. That that that's that's one of the biggest nuts you got to crack right there. Yes, yes, sir. Yes, and sir. And Jerry, didn't you say they had to have they <clears throat> had to have fire, ambulance, and police there? Yes, uh, yeah, the police. I forgot how many. I think I, I I'm not gonna tell you because it would be wrong. But you had to pay them a minimum of four hours. And, yep. and, and that's and just the way it was with the circus. We had to pay. We had to pay a minimum of four guys. Four hours uh, for each show. So if you were doing three shows, you had to pay them four hours for all three shows, so that's 12 hours worth. 
four guys. And, and, all and the same thing. Yep, and the same thing mm-hmm. in, in the, the states that required us to have uh, fire people there. Not all states did, but some, some some states you were required to, New Jersey being one of them, you were required to have fire departments there too. And see, the so, sad part about yeah. it is, you know, they get to keep everything, and they go charge you part there, and then they get all of the buildings, all of the You know, you're not privy to any of that. And I think any gimmicks you want to sell, they get a cut on that. I, I don't see it's just. It's, Plus it's concessions, I'm sure they probably, you know, they're probably in, in with the concessions there. Hey. I know some of the buildings we would go to where where we would sell programs, it was the same deal. They would, uh, you know, they wanted a percentage. Well, there was times we could work out a deal with a building and just say, hey, can we pay you a flat $25 and sell our programs? And they would go for that. So even if, but even if they did that, if you got seven matches and you got 16 guys on the card, not to mention uh the, the other, you know, uh, not knocking Charlie, but Charlie selling his stuff. There's several more people around like Charlie that go just to sell gimmicks. I mean, you know, that's a chunk of money right there for everybody having a table. Sure. So I just, if it comes off, I'll be surprised. But if it does come off, I just got a feeling they're going to. Take a bath. Bobby, Bobby, when you was working in the office, uh, <clears throat> let, let's, just, uh, let's just say we're going to go down there four or five of us that are on, on right now. We okay. Go, we go run that. We, let's say we go to Columbus around that building. Well, I didn't go that far with it. When I saw what it cost, I said, man, he's crazy. Yeah. Let's just say we go run it. How much do you have to guarantee them that date for them to lock that date down for you? It, it just dep- it, no. It just depends on who you are and what your credibility is. I can just imagine these people walking in and nobody knowing who they are. I could just imagine that uh, they had to put they had to put a deposit down on that building. That's what and I, I, and I and I would say five thousand dollars wouldn't have been too far too right. far removed. With, and they probably got a cancellation fee attached to it that if you cancel, they you lose a thousand dollars or something. Uh, and if you if you cancel within 24 hours of the show, you lose the whole thing. I mean, I wouldn't tie up a building like that if somebody come in on a chance. I mean, no, sir. They, they would. You know, we were fortunate enough that most people knew who we. You know, they knew who Georgia Championship well, Wrestling well, was, and, and and we had a history with. With buildings that we could give them references for. I mean, what are these people going to come in there and do? Well, I've ran Stockbridge High School and drew 47 people. I mean, you know, they just. So I would imagine. You know, I would think, you know, that those the the people that are that are responsible for that building have probably heard of the disaster in Dudley and are probably a little nervous <laughs> and asking for a little m- bit more up front. Could very well have. Well, I mean, because, you know, the, even though they're not related in any way as far as the actual people involved in the in the, right. the the deal, still, those people that run that bill, all they know is wrestling. 
Well, right. I heard this, you know, that, uh, you know, and and you know, people have a, a bad taste in in their mouth about our business to begin with, and you know, then they hear about this guy, you know, the 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 guru of Dudley, who, uh, you know, well, you know, I go back to, I go back to something I've said, you know, out of all of these people that Greg has mentioned, and he, he you know, he he knows two or three of names. You know, this is not 1970. You can't list wrestling on a poster and list a bunch of names and expect to draw. There's nobody that anybody knows. They don't have a TV there. And I'm not meaning to be negative. And I and I hope these people, whoever they are that's running this, I hope they do well. I hope right. it's a success. I hope everybody makes a dollar. I mean, that's I'm not. Tr- but I just it, it. I don't understand how people just keep doing this over and over and over. And you know. I mean, a big success now for an independent promotion is to draw a hundred people. Yeah, yeah. It's his, yeah. Historically, something like this is going to be a disaster. Yeah, I mean, not that, but I mean, and you know, you know, they've got their big, big names from the past are the Steiners, who are twenty-five years away from their heyday. Yeah. You know, and and. Probably well, neither one of them were all that good a worker to begin with, but you know. And well, what's his name? Eats so many steroids. He's liable to tear a deltoid just getting in the ring. These are the opinions well, of Mike Norris, not necessarily the opinions of Peach State Pandemonium. <laughs> uh, the Stylers are going to work with two Samoan guys that I've never ever heard of, and I'm sure. Any wrestling fans have probably never heard of them either. So, again, you know. Well, and given, know given the devil is due, the Steiners are pretty good amateur wrestlers. So if these yeah, Samoan guys can't work, then the Steiners are going to eat them up because you know they're not going to get hurt. That's right. So they what kind of match? Like I, I don't know. What's that? This could be like the Monkey Boys. <laughs> <laughs> Greg, Greg can tell you when we were running there in Columbus. Greg, I think Greg was on every card we had there. I'm, I'm pretty sure he was. Well, he worked and, cheap, I, so that was, you know. But when we had when we had Dusty and Tully there, I mean, it was. He'll tell you. I mean, but if if I was to go to Columbus with that same card, if Dusty was still alive and you know, it ain't gonna draw now. It's not. It, right. It, it, I mean, right. it's, it's Drake and they had some good houses out there, but it, it was tough. It was, I mean, it was tough. He had to work with But we had some, we had some good houses. We, you know, it was, it was, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And I regret it. We did have some good houses. We did do that, but it was just, and it was expensive on, I mean, my gosh, he got how many guys on the card? Seven I mean, matches. So I would say at least, you know, 18 guys plus referee plus, you know, ring announcer. You got to I wonder, I wonder ben, ben Masters is going to be his ring announcer. I would know. But I see so you got a Hall of Ring in there. I mean, it's, it's just. 
oh, and you've got to pay the sound people. I forgot all that. They hand you a list of this. You, you would think that you yep. were renting. Uh, you pay a building engineer. Yeah. All kind of things. Got to have your music now. And I'll tell you something else, too. Then I don't know how that building in Columbus is. I don't know. Uh, a lot of the buildings we ran up north were unionized, so I don't know if they've got a union people working in that building or not. Yeah, but probably if they, not. If, yeah, I doubt it. I mean, we don't, it's not generally not in the south, but up north we would have yeah. these uh, union people up there. Guess what? You had to pay union people to come in, put the ring up. Now, they may not do nothing but stand there with their arms folded while you your guys put it up because they didn't know what they was doing. But buddy, you was going to pay them because it was in that right. contract. Yep. That's, that's insanity, isn't it? So, when Barnett moved to New York, when he left here and he moved to New York, he called me. I used to take care I used to hook all Jim's video stuff up, his VCRs and everything he had. And and it was just something I enjoyed doing because I tinkered with it here at home. He called me, and he said, Mr. Bobby, he said, if I fly you up here, will you come up here and hook all my video stuff up for me? He said, I'll pay you. He said, it won't, you can do it on a Saturday. And I said, yeah, Jim. I said, I don't mind coming up there. Well, he said, well, we'll pick Saturday in a couple of weeks, and you can come do it. So I was looking forward to it, you know. Sure. Flying up there, spend a day doing that and tinkering, whatever. He'd have, pay, he'd have paid me two or three hundred bucks, and I'd have come home. He called me back and he said, "Mr. Bobby said I can't, I can't use you." And I said, "Why?" And he said, "My building is union." He said, "Unless you're in a union, you can't come in here and do any of that stuff." That's mm-hmm. absolute truth. Let me tell you, and when, I, when uh, company I worked for, we had an office in New York, and we when we closed it out, I went up there and spent. Uh, three days taking inventory of all the material and everything we had and, and making arrangements to get it back to Atlanta. And uh, our office was in the Port Authority building. In fact, the, the office that was our suite of offices used to belong to Duke Ellington. But um, they had a loading dock, and it was funny. When we were packing everything up, <clears throat> And it was being loaded on the trucks to be driven down to uh, Atlanta. It took one union guy to take it out of our office to the elevator. It took another union guy to take it and put it on the elevator. Mm-hmm. It took a guy driving the elevator that was another union guy. Yes, he sir. Yeah. To the loading dock. Then another union guy would take it off the elevator and put it on the loading dock, and then another union guy would take it from the loading dock and put it on the truck. So you yeah, had, you you had six, six guys doing what one guy would do. But, you know, we got around that. I, I bribed the uh, elevator operator to uh, keep everybody off the elevator. So <laughs> he was exclusively ours for the day. I paid him 100 bucks. But you yeah, right you're Democrat, all Democrats. Well, and unions have their purposes. Sure, they do. You know, but you know, just like everything else that's involved with anything corporate, whether it's Democrats, Republicans, or whatever, money takes precedence over everything. So you know, the, it's either it's either going to be. The positive aspect of it, as initially unions were designed, was to help protect you from being fired, for, exactly. you know, for no, for no cause. Uh, unions became or earning a decent living, or or being able to get the, you know the benefits that, that you're supposed to be getting. 
Right. Um, and and I, you know, I don't. I had an aunt that worked for a company, and she this was in Alabama that uh, she worked for a company for 25 years. And uh, when she retired, she didn't have any severance or any retirement. They'd spent all her money. Yep. 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 The company did. Yep. It's uh, mafia control now, particularly in the north. And uh, you know, New York's horrible, but you know, you get uh, beat up if you cross the line and uh, whatnot. Georgia's always been a right-to-work state, which means it's almost it's almost impossible unless you are a major corporation to uh, have a union in the state of Georgia. Bell South did, Southern Bell. Uh, the uh, because when I worked for Macy's, uh, our warehouse, our furniture warehouse was the Teamsters. Yeah. And uh, yep. you talking about you talking about somebody that got paid well to do nothing? It's the Teamsters. Um, they were required to have uh, two fifteen-minute breaks every every four hours. So they got they got not only an hour lunch break, but they got an hour's worth of break during the day. So they they you know took uh, two hours off during the day, and they did not work past. Five o'clock. You'd be up a ladder. I'm going to be holding the ladder for you. But you, if, if five o'clock rolled around, you might as well come down off that ladder, or you're going to fall because whoever was holding it, he's gone. Without going into god awful overtime. Exactly. But, but it, you know, anyway. in, in its perfect in its perfect form, unions were great. They protected people, particularly the little guy that had no recourse against his boss. But, you know, any time you've got something like that, it turns into a monster in most cases. Uh, that's why so many films are made here in Georgia, because they don't have to worry about the unions. Yeah. Well, guys, I'm going to have to go. I'm going to have to All right. Yeah, I'm going to look for that movie star down at Kyrie tomorrow. So All right. Yeah, Greg. Greg, you bounced around. Have you ever come across uh, Bruce Probance? I have not. The Hangman, the former NWA World Heavyweight Champion, it is only last man to ever hold the NWA World Heavyweight Title. I've heard that name, but I've never came across him. And you probably never will, because he's a figment of his own imagination. Well, guys, I'll see y'all. I enjoyed this. Good night, Gary. Good night, Gary. Good night, Gary. Good night, Gary. Thank you. Bye bye. Hmm. Yeah, Bruce. Oh, uh, mercy. Yeah, that's that's. Maybe he's uh, gonna be on that card in, in Columbus. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> God. He can be in a legends match. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. Well, but, uh, I, like I say, I, I just I know I'm coming across real negative on that thing. That I just hate to see anybody throw their money away. And maybe and maybe they know something I don't. But that just I don't know. I wouldn't spend fifteen cents on promoting a wrestling match. No. Nope. 
I mean, you look at well, you look at the look at the nightmare to remember the three that we ran, that we worked at, uh, that Terry Lawler and Todd put together and did. We had great houses. We had very receptive crowds. Uh, you know, everybody donated their time, donated their money. Uh, uh, you know, for that. You couldn't have, you couldn't have drew doing that every week or every once a month. You wouldn't have drew that kind of crowd for that. No, it was a once a year shot. And besides that, it was aimed towards being a, a money raiser for you know uh, at a particular event, and uh, you know people thought that they were giving part of what they were paying to uh, right. go as a donation. Well, it, it it did go to a good cause. We just don't know what the cause was. <laughs> Because somebody wanted the money. That's, That's pretty, pretty much, much I think it. what happened. Because wasn't nobody paying much attention. Yeah. That's another story. Yeah. That's right. But the people are here not to defend themselves, so well. But yeah, it was uh, it was thirteen thousand five hundred dollars donated to the Sunshine Fund of the Gulf Coast Wrestlers Reunion, and. Uh, you know, I have a clear conscience and a clear uh, – that th- we did uh, – I didn't do all the work. I just worked on the shows, and they allowed me to be uh, up there with them when they presented it. So it was a uh, – it was a good thing. They had the best well, engagements in the world. I gave some money to it, and I didn't have any bad feelings over it. Uh, but, but uh, you know, that's just the chance you take. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was, you know – I wish we could still do that. That was uh, that was a lot of fun to do that once a year. I don't know that I want to yeah. referee anymore, but uh, I did like going to them and talking. Yeah, I enjoyed it. The uh, the last one that they actually had that uh, uh, that I went to and went to Dromo and uh, Mrs. Dromo uh, was uh, awarded Bill's award and Bob Armstrong was there to get Brad's. Right. That's the kind of thing that uh, you know is is legacy to the uh, to the profession. That young people who weren't around get a little bit of the atmosphere, and they see some of the people that were involved. But that's you know that's not what these shows are all about that are being done now. I just you know I don't know. I'm just I'm I'm like Bobby. Now you just take the average fan in Columbus, Georgia, and you're advertising the NWA World Heavyweight Champion coming there. Do you think the average fan knows who who that person is? No. Short of going they to don't the even know who the, they don't even know what the NWA is anymore. The people well, that we the people that the people that that remember that logo that that. That when that banner meant something, that you were seeing the best that the business had to offer. You know, when Mr. Ward was around, and, and you know, those people that remember that, they're not going to go out there and buy those tickets to go see these people. No. And no, most sir. everybody else thinks that, that the NWA and, and Jim Crockett promotions were the same thing because that's that was who that was what he called his television program. Right. And, you know, they don't understand that the NWA was, you know, worldwide and, you know, 35, 40 different territories. 
were all members of the National Wrestling Alliance. They just know that it was, you know, Jim Crockett Promotions. That was the NWA. You had the WWE or whatever they were called, and 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 the NWA, and that's all there was, you know. But there again, you can you can tell by talking to a a wrestling fan as to when they became a wrestling fan by uh, you know who they think are the are the greatest wrestlers in the world and you know what they think the NWA was. Uh, Bobby, do you know the uh, wrestler by the name of Rob Conway? Uh, know the name? I've I've met him. Matter of fact, I saw him the night he won the world championship in Las Vegas. Yes, that was June the 2nd, 2014 at the Cauliflower Alley Club reunion show. And then the guy that took it from him was Hiroyoshi Tenzan, and he won it in Japan. And that was February the 14th, 2015. And that was the last uh, name that I've got on my list. I'm sure I could update it from then. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's, that's a couple of the guys that in, in the, the 14 or 15, you know, uh, these are the guys that have held the NWA championship and, uh, I don't, I don't know who they are, you know. Well, the you bulk of me. what Bruce does with the NWA now is the bulk of it is in Japan. Yeah. I mean, he's got, he's got, you know, People that lease the NWA name or call themselves NWA affiliates, all you know, in various spots in the United States. Obviously, these two in Georgia are two of them um, that are doing this joint show in Columbus together. And then you've got one out in California, and then uh, you know you've got you know one here, one there, and in, in, in various places. But the bulk of what Bruce does is in Japan, and that's that's probably where he draws his biggest crowd. Well, uh, you know, I, I you know, I know Bruce. Me and Bruce have always gotten along very well. Uh but you know, it, it's not nineteen seventy anymore. That's just Right. Same old, same old, you know. It's not nineteen eighty anymore either. No, you it's know. not. And and they're gonna they're going to uh some of the, and I will say this: most of the guys that 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 win his titles, they look like athletes. Sure. Uh, uh, guy from here lives not far from me, Tyson Dean, who I've talked about over here. Uh, up and coming young guy that I think is as good a worker as, as anybody I've seen around here lately. He's uh <clears throat> he won some kind of NWA title here recently. Uh, I can't remember which title he won, but he won a title. They let him carry a title. I don't know if he still has it or not. But, uh, you know, they – it's just, uh, again, you have no TV. You have – you have. I mean, you, you, they started this NWA network or website or whatever it is uh, where you can – I guess you pay so much a month or something to be able to watch old videos – Right. Of, of some of the stuff he's got, but how many people are doing that? How many people are doing that? That's going to say, "Oh, I recognize this name here. I'm going to go to the matches." I, I don't know. I hope, I hope they 
again. I hope they do well. On to a, diff- on to a different subject for a moment, Bobby. Is your cataract surgery still scheduled? October the 5th. And uh, I found out yesterday that Mac McMurray, uh, which a lot of people know, uh, refereed for uh, Southeastern and also did some stuff for Vince down in Florida, his, he's having cataract surgery on October the 6th. So uh, we're going we're gonna to make sure the eye doctors have a good October. <laughs> All right, tell them we came by, man. Wait a minute. You said you're going to have it done on October the 5th? Yes. That's the I same put out an email was... about our get-together, and I put the wrong date on there. Actually, our get-together will be October the 8th, which is Saturday. That's what I was thinking here because that's, that's, that wouldn't have worked. <laughs> yeah, I put, I put the... Uh, I put an email out to everybody that we were having our get-together on the 5th, and I'm going to put an email out tomorrow. Unless you were inviting us to watch it. Yeah, or y'all could all come down and watch the surgery. Yeah, that'd be, you know. Well, mine's not too far off, so, I, you know, I know it's – I'll see how yours goes. I understand it's, uh, you know, one of the better surgeries now, in and out. They told – he the doctor told me – The actual procedure would take about 10 minutes, and he said, I wouldn't feel a thing, and he said, 99.9% are successful, and I told him, I said, it's that point one, or that point of that 1% that I'm worried about. Right. So. Bottom line, you don't want to see any worse when you come out than when you went in. No, no. He he said that when Debbie had, Dr. Weber did Debbie's a few years ago, and he told, when she left, I brought her home. She had to have a patch. She had to wear it for 24 hours, and she couldn't lay on her stomach, you know, just a few little things. wasn't nothing major. But he told me, he said, the procedure's gotten so much better that he said, I probably won't even have a patch. I'll probably walk out there wearing my glasses and seeing. So that's what I'm hoping. Well, we certainly do also. Oh, man. Yeah, one of the stop next steps for me is to go see an eye doctor. But I, I tell you, I'm so fed up with doctors and hospitals and I medication and stuff. I'm just, I'm, uh, I need a break. So, who is yeah. driving? Is that Greg Brown's car making all them noises? Uh, something. Where's my car, Bobby Simmons? See, he got them high-dollar cars, makes all them deans and not. See, I'm telling y'all. <laughs> Maybe that wasn't Greg Green that ran uh, Dudley. Maybe that was Greg Brown that ran Dudley. Had the wrong car. Yeah. <laughs> no, sir. The Braves tonight. They 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 dropped the last two games. I tell you what, I'm impressed with this this young shortstop we have though. I don't know why he reminds me of, he reminds me of Ricky Gibson to look at him for some reason, which 
today is the 10th anniversary of uh, our having lost Mr. Gibson. He died 10 years ago today. Uh, but uh, I've actually scraped up enough money. Bobby, I, I won't be able to get you a bobblehead because I'm not going Saturday, but I'm going Sunday to a game. So uh, Good. I'm gonna, if you uh, don't mind picking me up, I'm going to go to church that morning and then go to the game from there. Not a problem. But Call uh, me Saturday and remind me. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, I will. But uh, I'm going to be up in the upper deck. Up, up four four stories high. It's the cheapest seats I could get, but I had to go one more time to the Ted. It's, it's hard to believe that the Olympics has been 20 years ago. Because yes. I went, uh, I probably went three or four times the initial season of Turner Field in '97, but then I never, I, as far as I know, I never went back. And this will be the last, you know, the last time I go to Ted. Ted Turner's field, and uh, they'll shut the lights out, I guess, week after next. I still haven't heard what they're going to do with that. I know they worked out some sort of deal. Either the city's going to have it or Georgia State's going to have it. Georgia State bought it. What are they going to do with it? They don't have a Turn it into a football stadium. Do they have a football place? Yeah, Georgia State has a football team. It'll be another place for people to be held up out there. You know, at Georgia State. <laughs> they won't have to go to the actual school anymore. They can do it right there at the uh, field. They're going to, uh, what, what I hear is they're going to turn that into a football stadium, and then they're going to build a baseball stadium for them in the parking lot across the street or somewhere close to the existing stadium because they don't need a stadium. They need more seats for their football than they do for baseball, so. The baseball stadium right. won't be anywhere near that size. So no, the season doesn't last. And even long. even SunTrust is not going to be that big a stadium. I guess the, their uh, seating is only going to be like twenty-seven or thirty-seven thousand. No, 40, 40, forty-six or forty-one. Forty-six. Okay. Yeah, forty-six. I think. But um, uh, my question is, what are they going to do with the, the the wall that's left of Fulton County Stadium that's in the parking lot now? Are they going to tear that down or leave it like it is? I have no idea. They're talking about moving the Olympic Cauldron uh, to Centennial Olympic Park, too. That was something else I heard them talking about. Where is it, where is it now? It's right there on what, corner of uh, Street? Henry Street, Aaron 17. and whatever that cross street is there. uh Okay, yeah, yeah. Fulton Street, I think, is what it is. That's right. That's right. I'm still remembering when it was down there right off of the interstate. Yeah. That's right. I forgot they moved it to Turner Field when they opened that up for business. Well, I mean, it makes sense for it to be at Centennial Park. Well, uh, you know, it's, it's never been a thing of rare beauty anyway. Some guy the other day said it looks like a large McDonald's orders of french fries. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, they, uh, yeah, there's no reason to keep it where it's at. But uh, I don't know. Somewhere down there in Centennial uh, Park, there's a brick with my name on it. 
mine and my my former wife and and my daughter's name is all on it. Couldn't tell you where it was, but I don't remember. Forty-five. But it seemed like the thing to do at that time, didn't it, Mike? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, preserve for prosperity. Right. My name's not on it, but there's a brick in the uh, the uh, Veterans Park in uh, Willingboro, New Jersey. It's got Cole Brothers Circus on it that I was instrumental in having that done too. It's probably chipped up and towed it away before <laughs> before too much longer too, but. Yeah, one of them people didn't get their money last year. They probably went over there and chipped it out of there and drug it up. <laughs> uh, might have been one of the employees, uh, you know. Oh, well. It was fun while it lasted. Yes, it was. Just like the, the wrestling business and the music business and circus business has, has abandoned me, too. But it's all changed so much. Yep. I was here. I was hearing today on NPR they were talking about how much is, you know, actually the, so, the selling of CDs and DVDs has actually gone up. Okay, downloads has decreased. But the new thing, of course, is streaming. Streaming has taken the place of downloads, but uh, the selling of the actual hard material, DVDs and CDs, has actually gone up a little bit. So, and you know, who would have thought? Finals attempting to make a comeback. Yes. But, you know, think about it to somebody who's never seen vinyl before. Uh, it, it's actually a new thing. You know, hey, got to, you know, it's what's this? It's actually yeah, but what so are they going to play it on? They, they won't That's fit right. the CD player. Well, here's the thing about that. that I, here again, I, just one of those things I picked up and read. These new vinyl recordings that, that they're putting for sale, that they're charging as much as $30 for, you go to Best Buy, some of them are, you know, way up there. The recording on the on the record is actually a recording of the digital yeah, thing it's not off the tape like it was years ago. So you're not really getting other than you buy a turntable and <clears throat> you've got this album spinning around. Uh, you know you you're getting you're not getting the true LP sound. You're getting the digital. So nope, this is you know there's no hiss bo- there. It's sort of a bogus vinyl. A hiss there unless you have you actually have the hiss programmed in. Right, right. <laughs> that's that's pretty much it. I mean, it's a. I don't know. I've still got you know. I kept all my albums that I had over the years, and I still play them periodically. And I, I'm actually recording them very slowly over to my iTunes so that I can put them on my my iPod to keep in the car. But it's just, uh, yeah. It's I haven't bought any of the new vinyl, so I don't really know the difference. But they, I read that the other day, or heard somebody discussing it on the radio that, or something. That makes. That makes sense. I had thought of that. Yeah, because the technology is just not, you know, not there anymore to do, you know. You've got to find that original disc. Got to find that original disc in order to do the transfer. And, 
No, be hard to do. Soundboards, I'm sure most soundboards now are, are digital. Sure. You know, mixing boards and all that stuff, so it's not, not like it used to be. Yeah, unless you could just find a recording studio that still recorded to tape, you know, and then mixed it on the tape and then recorded it to the vinyl off of the tape. Or I guess yep. they made an acetate off the tape and then duplicated them. But that's, you know, I don't, you're not going to get that true LP sound. Nope. Those Again, those days are gone. Yep. So I'm not getting rid of the ones I got. I got a box of 45s out here in the uh in the in the garage somewhere. I've got to find them. Uh, my kids don't even know what a 40. They seen them. They didn't even know what it was. Right. But uh, it's like a cassette, like a cassette tape. Yeah, or an eight track. <laughs> yeah, eight tracks are even more. You know, I've got a lot of cassette tapes. I don't have any eight tracks. I don't think I got any left. I had. I had some I just kept just so I could have one or two, but I don't even know if I got right. them anymore or not. I'm trying. Well, when I left here in 2006 and moved back to Alabama, I, I bet I threw away four or 5,000 cassettes. Just set them out by the curb. Wow. I saved, I saved my albums. Charlie Smith came and got those and, and charged me rent for the next four years for them, so <laughs> keep them for me, but uh, I've got those all now. Well, he was figuring he was taking positive. a chance on maybe you wouldn't ever need them again, Mike. You know. Yeah, I still think uh, there's a couple that I th- that have come up missing. I think he may have sold to, to Dean Silverstone and, and and won't fess up to it. But you know, I had uh, I had an original copy of Meet the Beatles that I no longer have, and uh, I had uh, Elvis's uh, an original version of Elvis's first RCA album that I no longer have. But not that I'm accusing Charlie Smith of doing anything like that, but but uh, I, I just, you know, and there again, to Bobby's point, unless you happen to have a turntable, because I don't think you can just go out and buy a turntable anymore. You probably have to pay you, you can. They're coming, to Yeah, you one. can. They're coming back. Yep, you can get them on Amazon. You can get them. And then you got to make sure you got a stylist and all that stuff. And, and I, I always used to would play an album, and I could tell when it, when it got real muffled, I'd have to lift the arm up, knock the dust off the uh, the needle. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. In in oh, radio yeah. station in radio stations when we were still playing uh, LPs uh, back in the late '60s before we started putting everything on cart. Uh, you know, sometimes the needle would start to go bad or you'd have a little problem with uh, with the tone arm. And uh, I can remember many, many times waiting on the engineer to come in and you'd take a penny or a dime and you'd put it on the uh, mm-hmm. back side of the tone arm to weight it down. And then, of course, right. that would ruin the record, but uh, you usually had several DJ copies. Let me ask you a question. That's a good question, and, and this ain't got nothing to do with wrestling. But, like, I know, you know, TV stations... They would. They had a lot of their stuff on cart. Their sound people did. When, right. when a radio station would get like, and I know the record company would send you three or four copies of, of of an album or whatever. Was was the program director or an engineer or would the actual the, the disc jockeys, for lack of a better word, would they have to? Uh, did they did they transfer the stuff to the cart themselves or did somebody do no. that or? 
not not during a DJ shift. Now they may have a production position outside of their, you know, every a lot of if if you worked in a radio station and you worked full time, you either worked a long shift, you know, six to midnight or whatnot, or midnight to six. These guys that worked the short shift during the day, they were either the program director or the music director, or they'd be a production guy. They'd do commercials, they'd go on the cart, or they'd uh, they'd actually take you know, the music by that point, and they would run it onto, uh, onto a cart, audio cart. And, okay. uh, and so that's how, that's how that worked. Now, it's interesting. When I got into radio, real, really, I, I worked a little bit in 66 uh, in the summer before I went into the Army, and most stations by then had cart machines, but they were, that was for commercial use. They were still playing all of their records off of turntables. And uh, but by the time I got out of the army in '68, your big stations had already started uh, putting your your music onto carts. And the reason that that was a positive was if you were playing LPs and you were playing 45s, the disc jockey had the problem of sometimes forgetting to change the speed on that turntable. Uh-huh. And, uh You'd start off playing a thirty a thirty three. Uh, and then go to a 45, and you would sound like that. Or you'd sound like Dolly Parton the other way, even if it was Elvis, if uh, you went from a 45 to a, to an LP. So th- that's the way that happened. But I, ta- I knew guys that worked in radio stations in the early 60s, and they had wire recordings. And that was pri- prior to cart machines. And it wasn't exactly a regular audio tape, but they had to actually rewind these things. And they were on kind of like a cart. It wasn't just an open reel tape. And for the life of me, I still don't know exactly how they worked. But they had to be rewound after after every playing. And uh, so I thought to myself, what a pain in the rear end that must have been. But oh, yeah. I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure anybody now that thinks about, you know, playing uh, a song off of, a, off of an LP and then changing it, then they went to cart machines in the early 70s where you wouldn't have to just punch a button on one cart machine. You could set them up, and they were usually triple decks where you'd put a cue on the end of the song, and it would go right into the next song unless you stopped it. So, uh, you know, things have progressed. I, now everything is pretty much on, uh, you know, on computer, uh, either as an icon or somehow set up like that. A lot of them are icons, so the DJ can just choose what song he wants next, and it's downloaded onto the, uh, you know, onto the computer that way. Do they even have DJs anymore? I know most of the morning drive stuff are they're they're syndicated, and they just get a package. Uh, well, they... you have local cut-ins, and a lot of your small stations, uh, you know, that are more uh, community-driven than your larger stations. Uh, you can still have, uh, if they are locally owned, uh, you you can still have radio people, particularly, you know, if somebody's been around for a long, long time and they've still got that, uh, you know, local uh, audience, you'll, you'll find them guys. And But usually overnights and uh, things like that are just totally uh, syndicated. I'm drawing an absolute blank on his name, but the guy that does WSB's Morning Drive. He's been around for a hundred years, and uh, he's very well respected in this community. He, he I cannot cannot think of his name, but he's 
he does he comes on about five or five in the morning and goes to nine every morning mm-hmm. and uh he's kind of the the news guy. I have no idea. I'm not up that early anymore, Bobby. I I, I can't think. Of, I, you know, I let's. I get up here when I get in the shower in the morning. I turn the radio on. I have a radio in my bathroom, and I always did it when I would go to work because I would listen for traffic and weather and you sure. Know, uh, so so I've always listened to him, but I I cannot think of the guy's name. I can see his Scott. Uh, oh, I just almost had it, but anyway. Slade. Scott Slade, that's it. That's it. Boy, that took a few brain cells. Yeah, yeah. and I'll tell you, the, the, the weather guy they've got on WSB, Kurt Mellish. Yeah. Uh, he is he is, he is is phenomenal. I mean, he'll yeah, tell you, you know, something and go against everybody else in town, and he'll be right 90% of the time. Yeah, the helicopter reporter they used to have there forever and ever and ever who died of a heart attack a few years ago, he was yeah. another one that was there forever and ever. Captain Herb. Yeah. Yeah. We're down to about three minutes here, gentlemen. Anybody got anything they want to pass on for next week or just uh, in general they want to discuss before we go out tonight? Well, I'm hoping next week we'll be joined by uh, Dawn Lemke. Um, uh, I'll touch base with her at the beginning of next week, and uh, we'll let let everybody know for sure one way or the other whether she'll, she'll be on with us. But that's the the plan for next week. So, uh that, uh, I think that'll that'll be an interesting show. The 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 woman behind Mark Lemke is that the focus of the show? To... No. Oh well. <laughs> we might want to tell everybody if you happen to be in the Gwinnett County area, uh, and you go to the fair, stop by and see Mr. Charles Smith there. He's got a uh, he's got his little booth set up there inside the. I think he said he wasn't too far inside the gate in one of the exhibit buildings there. And uh, I'm he sure may he'll be, be glad one of the exhibits. He, he could very well be. Uh, <laughs> he'll be glad to hook you up with a with a hat or some other little novelty from the Smith novelty line. So uh, <laughs> stop by and say hello to Charlie and tell him you listen to the show and hear him breathe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Greg, you got anything you want to send out parting here? I know, guys. Just enjoyed it, uh, being on the night and I always enjoy it. Listen. I, Listen up this on Thursday, Thursday nights when Bible study. Sometimes it's like I get out, but I enjoyed it tonight. So appreciate okay, you we joining appreciate you calling, man. We appreciate you calling yeah. in. Greg, are you getting the emails I'm sending out about the little get-togethers? Uh, let me see if I can get him back, Bobby. Hold on. You there, Greg? Oh, uh, if, he's, he's gone. Already, I'll, I'll catch him, but <laughs> I want to make sure he's getting them. Yeah, anybody yeah, might be sure. listening that gets the emails. The get together will be the eighth, not the fifth, and I'll <laughs> I will put an email out tomorrow. My mistake. You, actually, you obviously you obviously had the fifth on your mind, Bobby. I did, I did. So, <laughs> and uh, for anybody who is uh, planning on attending the uh, the super spectacular in Columbus on October the first, be sure and get there at least thirty minutes early and make a special announcement that the Peach State Pandemonium crew will not be there. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we're uh, uh, we're all booked booked up. That however, there's an outstanding Charles Smith might be there. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we enjoyed it. Let's see all if right. I can make this Thanks, work. everybody. All right, good night, guys. First time, it goes right off.
thank you for listening to this broadcast, a production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network. Stay tuned to GeorgiaWrestlingIndustry.com for the latest information on upcoming events and more. As always, we thank you for your continued support.